Football Index podcast is supported by footballindextrader.co.uk, the best site for in-depth scouting and trading strategy. Not many people have the time to analyse every game. That's why hundreds of veterans and new traders alike get FIT to do the heavy lifting for them, providing easy-to-read analysis of every match day from an FI perspective. If you want to see more, as an exclusive offer for Figcast listeners, you can give the site a try with a 25% discount on your first month with the code FIG. And it comes to about £3 a week, which is the price of a very cheap pint. So do go check it out over on footballindextrader.co.uk. Here's the legal stuff from Football Index. FI is a gambling product available to customers in certain territories aged 18 or over. The content of this podcast has not been approved by Football Index, but they do listen to the show to keep me on my toes. Please remember to only gamble what you can afford to lose. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops... Stop. Hello and welcome back to the Football Index podcast, episode 175. In last week's episode, I was rejoined by TC, or TC underscore BER, who was on podcast episode 43 over two years ago. So a long, long way to return. I thought it was amazing. I thought it was the, the best one I've done this year. I think he just hit, you know, hammer or nail every single point that he mailed, made throughout the show. So definitely recommend listening to that. And then in the previous Fitcast Extra, me and Panda were joined by Dunwell, which was a really, really awesome show. Hopefully we can have him back on more often. In today's show, joined by someone who I've been trying to get on for a couple of years, one more off my hit list, none other than Ginger Pirlo. How are you doing, mate? I'm bad, mate. How are you, Fit? Not too bad, not too bad, not too bad. Why don't you tell people more about yourself, your Football Index journey, a bit more about your background and so on and so forth? Yeah, so I I discovered Football Index in September 2018. I was a football analyst, football scout, doing bits and bobs in and around football. And I was watching Sky Sports News one night or something like that, and John Watson started shouting at me, (laughs) buy shares in footballers, what's your football knowledge worth, all that kind of stuff that like he says. So I checked out the next day, see what it was about, and downloaded the app, and the rest is history, really. Um, yeah, so funny thing is, you know the um, seven-day seven day risk-free trial thing that they do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the sixth day, I actually said to myself, this isn't for me. So the, the email to FI, draft it all up, said, close my account. And for whatever reason, last change, change of heart, last minute, I thought, I'll give it a go. So thank fuck that I did, to be fair. Considering <laughs> how it's gone. So yeah, so that's it really. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. I mean, let's dig into the, the football analyst type side of things a little bit as well. Like what, what type of stuff have you done in the past and, and have you found that that's helped a lot on Football Index? Um, well, I was the company I worked for, what you do is you download games from Scout. And instat. Um, so what you do is on a if you're free to do games on a Sunday, Monday, or Tuesday, you do a game that was played the day before. So I was allocated uh, Bundesliga games at first. So what you do is if Dortmund played on a Saturday, I'd be given that game during the week. On the Sunday, you download the game from Y Scout. You analyze the game, input all the data. Uh, send it all off to the system 
And that was it, really. So it was, it was more data capturing more than actual analyst work, like for like an actual football team. So, but it was good. It was good. So I watched games from all around the world, like the J League, the K League, um, Argentina, Belgium, you name it, I've watched it. So it was good practice to watching games as I do now. Because you get to see from a slightly different point of view, like an analyst point of view. And the scouting was more like lower leagues. So I lived down on the South Coast. So I get sent off to Yeovil or Plymouth or something like that for Grimsby Town. We were playing them in the cup in the week. So I did that a few times, which, which, is, which is good. So yeah, doing stuff like that was good practice for FI, I reckon. And I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about how that's impacted or influenced your strategy, at least in, in the future of this podcast. But I mean, first of all, most load of... I, I just have to say before we start, we get started, like loads and loads and loads of questions. So yeah, no, if you're not, if, <laughs> if you're not, if you're not in, if you're not in, you didn't make it, maybe Pirlo can go out and, and, and answer some of them after that we didn't get through, but uh, there was just too many and loads of similar ones as well. So I just try to like group a lot of them together. So don't be offended if we didn't get to them. Um, um, but some nice comments, miscellaneous questions here. Bobby Axelrod, Newcastle based quick fire, if I may, Robson or Keegan? It's got to be Keegan. He's the man. He's my idol. Denver Barr or Cissé? Um, Denver Barr was a better player, but he spat his dummy out and pissed off to Chelsea. So, because he stayed a bit longer, I'll go for Cissé. <laughs> uh, Debushi or Jan Matt? <sighs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, basically, horse shit or cat shit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Debushi was actually all right for his first nine months at Arsenal and then he got injured and then Bellerin got into the team and he never got back out. He was all right for us when he first started. He was in the France team for a bit as well, think, wasn't he? I think because Kabai left, his head went because they're best mates, aren't they? Yeah. So I think once he left, his, his head was gone. So I'd just go Debushi. Just. Kabai or Lee? It's got to be Rob Lee. Rob Lee, I'm telling you now, Rob Lee was the best central midfielder in the country in the mid-90s. Honestly, well, listen. That's when I was born, so you're gonna to have to take it up with some of the older folk on the on the TL. I think. Have you had a YouTube thing? Have you had that thing, yeah. Yeah, I have. But I haven't watched Rob Lee compilations. Do it, surprisingly. mate. That's not what did my pastime, mate. Rob Lee is amazing. <laughs> I'll give it. A, I'll give him. A, I'll give him a well. Um, Barton or Nolan? Bloody hell! Good choices, eh? Um, you got to go Nolan. He scored about mm. goals in the championship and got promoted. I think so. Nolan. Mm. And then Owen or Givach? Uh, Givash all day long. Givash, Givash. M- Michael, yeah, was, was very... Michael can go fuck himself, let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, honestly. He was on 120 grand a week. We were going to get relegated. He was made captain by Shearer. And in the last game, he didn't want to play because he might get injured because oh. his contract was running out. So he left us on a free transfer, went to Man United on half the wages that was in Newcastle. So, you know, don't get me started on my car. I always thought that was a bit of a weird transfer. Um, what to begin with? Yeah, yeah, I just, I don't know, just felt like uh, kind of like a, a a very, very much in decline player was, being bought to save a team. I think when he, when he came to us, he was still pretty good. Like it was 2000 and 2005. So he was still pretty good then. It's just when he got too many injuries at our place, and it killed him really. But, when we bought him, he was still England's best striker. So just didn't work out in the end. Just didn't work out, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, 
Index analyst here. Which of these events happen first? A Macam in Milan or the Bogs at St. James is getting a kick of paint. Um, well, let's go for that one first. <laughs> Even though it's COVID and Sunderland are in League One, there's still more chance of spotting a Macam walking down Milan High Street than there is of Mike Ashley spending money on St. James's Park. I can tell you that. Honestly, that bloke is unbelievable. Like he's owned this, he's owned this club for what now, 13 years? He's a, t- a terrible owner, isn't the he? Like just, just straight up terrible. Honestly, the training ground's still the same. St. James's Park is filthy. Have you seen it? It's unbelievable. It's an absolute <laughs> pigsty. I mean, where's his pride, you know? Tried to rename it as well. He tried to rename it, yeah. Was it St. James's Park at Sports Direct Dog Shit or something? It was the Sports Direct Arena, wasn't it? It was at one point, but at first it was like Sports Direct at St. James's Park. Oh, God. Honestly. I mean, listen, I can't talk. The Emirates and all that. Um, if you could have any ex-Newcastle uh, player back in the team, who would it be and why would it be Nobby Solana? <laughs> <laughs> I do love Nobby, but Wilson's just got injured, so it's got to be Shearer, hasn't it? Peak Shearer, 96, 97. Mm. Wonderful striker. Solano, good, uh, decent set. He, he was a good player. Good player. He was good. Um, question here from Copper. Does Perlo have any blog projects in the pipeline? Um, I don't, to be honest. I, I was going to do is try and do something this season, but since the market's gone the way it's gone, it's like I did that goalkeeper project thing at the start of the season. And my plan was to, you know, do a few more things like that. But the way the market's going, you'll do one thing one day. Next week, it'll be, you know, completely different. So, you know. Not at the moment, but if they finally sort the thing out, I'm sure I'll think of something else in the future. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about how it can be improved and stuff in the, in the the rest of this episode. But FY Haggy, I think my favourite question, how do you get through <laughs> life being both Ginger and a Newcastle fan? Well, when you're a young lad, and I moved to Yorkshire when I was younger, which you might be able to tell from my accent. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Um, they're obsessed with ginger hair down there up there. I don't get what do you mean obsessed? I'm obsessed with it. Like when I lived in Newcastle, in the mean streets of you know, Newcastle, I didn't even know I had ginger. You moved to <laughs> and everyone's all going on about it. So it's like, they're obsessed. It's like, <laughs> oh, I've got ginger hair, have I? Oh, okay. And you're a Newcastle fan. So yeah, so if I can get through that as a kid, don't worry about me, Haji, I'm fine. Don't worry. <laughs> um, F.I. Gerard here from the Fig Discord. Top five ginger Index holds. Does he mean ginger players or my holds? What's he on about here? I think ginger players on <laughs> FI. Is there any five ginger players on FI? I don't even know. I don't even know, mate. <sighs> Does Messi count with his ginger beard? <laughs> I'll pick Messi. Who have you got? Who have you got who's proper ginger on FI at the moment? Um, at the moment. Uh, I don't know. What did, what did Angelino look like when he had her? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> I'm really scratching the barrel. <laughs> you got uh, Josh Sargent over at... Um... Yeah, Josh Sargent, he'll do. Josh Sargent, yeah. he'll do. Uh... Oh, I've got no... Honestly, I'm looking... I'm just looking up and down and I'm like... I can't think of anyone. There's no... Oh, well, Kevin De Bruyne. Oh, obviously, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's like strawberry blonde. Like, does that count? Yeah, it counts. Oh, it's fine. oh, it counts, it counts, it counts. KDB captain. Uh... KDB captain, we've got Josh Sargent. Josh Sargent. Messi, Messi, put Messi in there, come on. Come on, we'll have Messi in his beard, that's three. Um, I don't know who else there is, honestly. I've got no idea. Fucking bring back... You bring back Skullsy. 
Skulls in club. Jack Colbert, <laughs> the original Ginger Pearl. Jack Cole. Oh, what about Max Arnold? Yeah, Maxi Boy. <laughs> My man, isn't he? Max Some Arnold. Shit. Get him in there. I've got to forget. That's, 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 that's your man, isn't it? You've got to have him in there. Oh, he's, he's priceless. Max Arnold, stick him in there. <laughs> so that's that's four. And then we've got... Luke Shaw's not really ginger, is he? Harvey Barnes, not really. No, he's not ginger. Sinchenko's blonde. Fucking hell, this is tough. <laughs> this is re- oh, well, you got Vasilidis at Paderborn. I'm sure he'll do a job. He's very ginger. If you if you type him up, yeah. Greek player who plays for, for for. He's the most ginger player I can see on the index <laughs> from my from my point of view. Actually, oh, we've got Kulisevsky. Actually, is he ginger? Yeah, he's ginger. Yeah, 100% ginger. Stick him in. Go on and stick him in, man. Stick him in. Oh, and that man. leads me on to my next question from Seb from the Fig Discord, Seb Wessel. Uh, top three ginger footballers, past or present? That's a better one, isn't it? Um, you've got to go Skullsy, don't you? Kinch. Mm. Um, you mentioned Kevin De Bruyne. So he's got yeah. De Bruyne. Got to be in there as well, hasn't he? Um, let me have a think. Dave Kitson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he calls his secret footballer. Like that, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely him, isn't it? Yes, yeah. him. Yeah. Dave Kitson. Um, he was shy, wasn't he? He was, um, he was so shit. I'm trying to think of old school players like from the like seventies or whatever. Listen, you're going to be better than that, me. You know what? Let's, let's stick with Messi. He's got a ginger beard. Come on. All right, fine. fine. I mean, look, I don't fully agree. I'll give you two and a half out of three for that no, one. Uh, before we move on, I need to plug the Patreon. If you guys don't know what it is, it's where I create premium bonus and behind the scenes content for my audience. And in my case, I'm helping traders profit more on their football index journeys, adding as much insight as I can. And it, you also support me helping me continue making great football index content. There's three pound, five pound, eight pound, 12 pound tiers. So for as little as a pint, Anywhere that you live a month, you can help me out. Uh, head over to pation.com forward slash FI guide for more information and join a growing community at the Fig Patreon. Which I'm not on. Which you're not on, yeah. <laughs> should get on. Um, uh, yeah, new podcast Mondays with Fig. People are enjoying that. So uh, if you are looking at that, do, do go check it out. Uh, so many, it's tough to actually pick one. This is me writing or reading my own nights uh, regarding your own strategy. So let's just talk about what you've been like trading on FI throughout those 18 months and how it's changed specifically over the last 18 months. I mean, you've been on two and a half years, sorry, not eight, uh, not 18 months, but the last 12 months, of course, you've, you've evolved a lot. But let's let's go through the whole thing chronologically. So when you first got on, what was that strategy like? How did it develop? And then hit COVID, hit the market state where we're in. How did it change through then as well? Well, when I first started, I probably went through every strategy there is. I did the typical thing, you know, try and build a portfolio, you know, look into previous stats, PV scores, all that kind of stuff. And then there was a point where I had no money in my cash balance and something happened. I can't remember what it was, like either breaking news during the day or whatever. And I was sat there with no cash balance, unable to trade it. I was just like, like, like the penny dropped, like why am I in this position? Like I'm sat with these players in my portfolio, hoping they'll do something when I can make money right here and now. So I tried different strategies and the one that really stood out was the fact that I noticed on a match day, if someone would score a goal, the price would go up. 
So to me, it was common sense. If you can keep the cash balance, if someone scores a goal, you can buy them and then sell a minute later for some profit. So once I've gone through all around the houses, the penny finally dropped. This could be like a great opportunity. So that was basically what I focused on for the first five or six months a lot of in-play trading because when I started I, I didn't have that much money in the platform I had a decent amount like two grand whatever it was but to make the, the real money if I'd built the portfolio you know with the market going the way it was I might have made how much 100% maybe 200% but I made about five grand profit with my short term trading in the first six months and then the share split happened in March 2019, which caused short-term trading to be even more profitable. So with the 900 shares to move at a penny, my fear was before that, that prices wouldn't go up that much, but prices would still go up the same, but you could buy 900 shares before the price moved a penny. So before it was 100 shares, wasn't it? So 100 shares, you go up 20p, and might make 20 quid. Now I could buy, say, a thousand. It goes up twenty p. I can make two hundred quid. So after my after the share split, it took me over six weeks to make my next five grand. And that was my first season, really, still in play trading, a little bit of holds here and there. And I took the summer off that that summer, twenty nineteen, because I was working at the Cricket World Cup. Because one of my other jobs I've got is I work at Premier League uh, Premier League stadiums. Um. Like, like uh, tracking the players on the pitch for uh, collecting stats and data and stuff. So I got asked to the, the uh, Cricket World Cup to do the same thing in 2019. So I took that summer off and then I got back on the index about July, August. And that's when I thought about doing the, uh, the blog series that I started up. So I thought, I've been on that a year. Why not try and, you know, offer people a different way of going on the index because at that time it was still when people join the index put your money in build a portfolio sit and wait and I thought I've got all these different strategies that I do I think I'll start a blog and then update people either every month or whatever to track my progress so if you read my blog my intro blog there's several different strategies on there but how I went about it in the earlier days um, and that was it really I took it from there so when it was still a market queue system, it was a lot easier to make money. Like the short-term trading was, because this whole system was designed for upward pressure, wasn't it? Like the instant was there. I mean, the spread, it was the spread would go to like 5%, you'd lose your mind by then. But now I'd take 5% tomorrow, wouldn't you? So back then the instant sell was, it propped the market up always. Even if it had a small dip, the market would bounce back within a week. So yeah, I started a blog. August 2019 and cracked on really, cracked on from there. So I had my fixture trading, you've got um, in-play trading, obviously from the scores of goal, you've got injury trading, you've got, um, you know, transfers, all kinds. So once COVID hit, obviously that changed a lot because football stopped. So you can no longer in-play trade, fixtures were out the window. So what am I going to do? So the obvious thing was they, uh, they did media madness, didn't they? For a bit, for the summer, because there's no games going on. So literally just bought into media players. I bought about a thousand Sancho, 
in I think the March or the April. And he went, he won about how much did he win in that summer? A pound worth of media? More? One pound? Quite quite a lot. Quite a lot, wasn't it? So I made a shitload off Sancho. And then when the season started, I think I sold him for like 14 quid or something like that. So that was the summer. But then uh, folks on media holds or media players. Once football came back, just attempt to go back the way it was, but it was never quite the same because obviously they brought in the matching engine, which changed things. So I did that for a little bit, made a little bit of money from matching players and some for a small profit. Um, then they brought in order books, which seemed to be a good idea at the time. Everyone was lapping it up, but slowly but surely, people started to realise that the bid side of the book was a bit empty. So in-play trading is not the same as it is today as it was, you know, back in the market market sell days and market queue days. But um, yeah, so these days it's more about buying the dips. So in my first 18 months, I barely touched premiums because they were, they were quite, I found them quite stressful. But these days the prices have tanked that much that I'm lapping the premiums up these days. It's all about the premiums now. So if a premium player drops, if he's being instant sold on a huge spread, stick in a bid, try and get matched up and then wait for the sentiment to turn. Even this week, I bought some Sancho, was it £5.55? I've already sold him for over £6. So, you know, it's all, it's all about the premiums these days. Once you get a dip, get on the dip and just buy back into the sentiment when it changes. Um, I think that's it really. <laughs> no, that's pretty, pretty exhaustive. Very good. Um, so from a fixture in play perspective, has that slowed down a bit for you now? Fixed, considering the state of yeah, market? Yeah, fixture trading now, it doesn't really matter anymore. You can still do it, but the way it was before, you could look at a team's fixtures coming up and you could, you could almost guarantee one of their decent players would rise into that, into that, those games weeks. Like Max Arnold was a classic example, wasn't it? I mean, what happened afterwards was a bit infamous, but you know, if the player's got good fixtures coming up, people are going to buy in. So it's a simple case of buy as early as possible. When those fixtures come around, people slowly but surely realise it. They start to buy in, buy in, buy in. And you've got a choice. You can either sell into the rise or you can keep them yourself for the fixtures if you fancy going to do well. You can sell half if your shares, keep half for the games. You know, fixture trading was, it's always been there since I was, before I was even on the index. Like I remember when I first joined looking for different strategies. There's a great account called um, FI Dragon, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. He had this, I remember him. Yeah, he had this hype buy strategy, which I saw in my early days. I thought, this is good. He used to basically buy a player with fixtures in mind and sell into the rise when the game day was about to approach. So I stole his strategy off him. And, you know, it was great back in the day. But these days, you know, the way the market is, it's not, it's not as, you know, the greatest strategy as it used to be, in my opinion. And now the premium strategy style thing for you, why exactly is that what you've shifted to? And have you found success in holding those premiums or has it been, again, trading in and out of them? Um, well, because the prices are so good, you know, you're always going to get people want to buy them. Like even if they're going down in price, you know, at some point they're going to do something 
and they've always they've, made, they've always got a, a sale price as well. If you look down the index, the amount of players that don't have a sale price right now, it's usually the cheaper players. Whereas the premiums, you know, unless there's an extremely tight bid zone, they're always going to have people willing to buy and sell. So it's just a case of, you know, being patient, being more patient than before. So you can buy, I've been buying players this week that I think once, you know, the sentiment has a little bit of a change, I can sell for a profit. Like I was buying Harland the other day for three quid. If I can't sell Harland for more than three quid, then the index is going to die again. So, you know, it's like you can't really lose with that kind of trade. Whereas before, premiums were a bit, I found them stressful, just the way I was with my smaller budget. Whereas now it's, I won't say it's less stressful, but you've got more belief that because when you get a, a matched bid, you've got paper profit immediately. Whereas before, if you bought a player to get a, to get the capital appreciation profit of it, he has to go up afterwards. Whereas now you can get a player for a 50p on a 50p spread. You've got that instant paper profit and you can then offer that offer those shares in between where you bought and where he is at the moment. So, you know, there's different ways of going about it, but for the moment, the best thing for me to do is look at those premium players, look at Mbappe. You I mean, could have been bought Mbappe for what? £3.20 this week? And he does that against Barcelona and he's being bought for £4.40 or something like that, like in a day. Exactly so. If you bought him this week for £3.30, you could have sold him this morning for a pound, a pound profit, a pound per share profit. So, you know, the way the market is at the moment, there's so much fear of what's going to happen in the future. But people are desperate to, for this thing to succeed and they're desperate to own these players when something good does happen. That you can take advantage of it in a way. Like you can buy, like I say, buy into the dips and then just wait for something good to happen, like in Bappe this week, for example. Well, I think, you know, we'll circle back on a lot of the stuff you've just discussed and a few questions further down. I've got a, f- a question here from Joe Felix. Do you think the removal of IPDs was a good idea, having seen the market react ne- negatively? What would you suggest FI could do to get the ball rolling again? I wouldn't say it's a good idea. I think it was essential for the platform. Like, if something's essential, it's not really an idea, is it? Like, like IPDs, let's face it, in an order book system that's barely got any liquidity, you can't really have that kind of dividend available because, like we saw, what would happen is like the recycling would happen. Prices drop so much that people were buying premiums for IPDs. I mean, you know, the downward pressure was already there. The IPDs just added to that. So you wouldn't say it's a good idea to get rid of them because, you know, they couldn't... Sustain IPDs, could they? Let's be honest. It was it was a good idea at the time, but when they brought them in, the system was completely different to what it is now. So you know, you can't say it was a good idea or a bad idea. It was just they had to do it at some point, and they've decided to rip the bandaid off now and just drop it on people halfway through the season. You know, people correctly were pissed off about it. it I wasn't happy about it myself. The way that I went about it. But, you know, what can they do? If they say we're going to do it in the summer, what's going to happen to the players? They're going to get sold off anyway, aren't they? So, you know, IPDs were good at the time, but the way the market's been in the past few months, they had to go, in my opinion. 
Um, what would I suggest if I get the ball rolling again? It's all about the bid side of the book. I mean, we know the books and the bid sides, it's almost empty sometimes. It's fucking starving Marvin on the bid, on the bid side compared to the offer side. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and, if and I, it's not even necessarily the amount money-wise. It's the, the number of bids, isn't it, Pillow? It's Obviously, it's like, you can look at the players, got like 15 shares here, two shares there. I mean, the bid side is just, it's got no weight to it. I mean, I'd love to speak to Mike and just ask him directly, like, what, what does he think of the bid side of the book? Like, literally, what does he think? And like, what's his master plan of, um, you know, of sorting this out? Because if they think it's going to be sorted out by the, just by a user base, you know, it sounds good on paper, but realistically, is that really going to work? I mean, what do you think, you know? Yeah, I think, you know, when it comes to the bid side, clearly the thickening of that one way or another, that's the goal, right? How we get there, not too sure. Like, what do you think are some of the solutions that, you know, could uh, could help thicken that? I think the obvious one, if, without using market makers, the obvious one is to allow people from uh, multiple bids. I know you've made a video, was it last week, about it? with your little fancy um, bricks, eh? <laughs> um, yeah, so I think that'll come in soon. It's got to come in. Unless they, you know, unless they can't do it, unless the technology doesn't doesn't allow it to happen. So, you know, surely it could. Surely it could, surely. I mean... Look, I'm not a tech guy, right? I don't know how hard that is to do. I don't know what uh, FI's tech currently is like. <laughs> From what I've uh, heard, it should be straightforward, but I don't know either. I've got no, I've got no idea. But you know, other platforms do it. Yeah, yeah, other uh, platforms do do it, and um, you'd hope it's not too uh too strenuous on the engineers at fi but like that's just one part of the puzzle isn't it Pirlo? like surely oh, yeah. market makers oh, yeah. fi instead of some just, form of yeah. instant sell like what yeah. what else could they do all those things but the first step an easy win is to do we're going to allow you to do multiple bids then you might be able to do something like uh, bid and offer at the same time i'm not sure if that's but it's another option but at the end of the day we need either football index to come and come into the bid side of the book and be a market maker themselves, or they need to bring in external market makers who will give this platform some liquidity. I mean, it's, it's fairly, fairly straightforward. I mean, seems it. It is straightforward, isn't why it? Why do you, Why do you think they're not doing that on the bid side? I don't know for sure. I mean, I spoke to someone from FI a few weeks ago, and he couldn't speak for anyone else. He had his own opinions, but from what I gather. I mean, I think they're really big on this idea of organic liquidity. Like when it comes to market makers, it's almost the case of be careful what you wish for because a market maker will make money from traders. Yeah, but like they are... I, it's not be careful what you wish for, though. This is how every significantly good market works, right? I don't agree like with them. Betfair Exchange have market makers. Yeah. Markets yeah. have market... I have been told buy someone at markets that 60% of their liquidity comes from market makers. Well, and these are, these are multi-billion pound a year revenue businesses. Exactly. So how, how, can we, how can anyone sit there and say, be careful what you wish for when it comes exactly. to market makers? Exactly. So what are they doing? So what's the plan? What, are they even really talking to market makers? I mean, we've been told they have, right? Through the comms. This one thing talking is another thing actually really, really talking. You know, <laughs> sitting down the table and saying, 
this has to happen. Let's start something out. Yeah, that, there's a big difference between a first date and marriage, right? Exactly, yeah. Exactly, mate. So, you know, how how much do they actually want market makers? Are they... Why like, would they not want them, though? Maybe they're just dead set on. They want users to earn... But that's money. never going to happen. Like, as in that, there's never enough money in the world for that to happen. Well, that's what I think as well. <laughs> what can you do? What can I mean, you do? Um, we can always we can ring them up and ask them, but will they really tell us? I don't think they would. I don't think they would. Um, you know. <laughs> no, I, I don't want to. I don't want to speak about that forever. I'm sure we're going to cut a circle back to liquidity and market makers later on. Uh, Jack yeah. the Ripper here from the Fig Discord. You have two minutes on the phone to Mike Bowen, where you can give him any feedback or thoughts on FI. What do you say? Apart from what the fuck are you doing? Um, I would say. Same as before, what's your plan for the bid side of the book? It's fairly straightforward. End of the day, be all and end all is what is going to happen with the bid side of this order book? That's it. You can do a little fancy rebates. You can do offers. You can do whatever you want. But Just kicking, it, kicking the can down the road to some extent, isn't it? Exactly. At the end of the day, this platform will only go forward when the bid side of the book has some weight to it and some genuine money in it. Because all that's happening now is prices go down, sentiment has a little bit of a change it goes back up it'll go back down again it's going to be like this forever unless until people get pissed off with it and then they'll start leaving in droves and then this idea of um, organic liquidity goes down the toilet because people actually leave and not join mm. so you know what what would you be like i've got this theory i think i don't know if you read it in the newsletter last night which is you all definitely subscribe it too if you haven't also uh, done so already me and liam pumping out that newsletter every week <laughs> i kind of talked about like uh i think after the 22nd with this new issuance thing they'll be a bit more aggressive what do you kind of expect let's say from the 22nd to the end of march like do you expect fi to make some big moves i'm not i don't personally think the mark makers are going to come in that time but like what do you what do you kind of expect or or hope from them between then and the end of march let's say you mean in general, like with like some kind of offer or some kind of announcement, you mean? Uh, just anything, really. Like, it could be anything from, uh, you know, bidding off on the same side to multi-bidding to being able to edit bids, whatever whatever you think is needed. Um, I, think, I think they'll have to bring in, if they can do it, obviously, the multiple bidding. I think that's an essential part of the short term, anyway. We've got to get people being able to use that cash balance on multiple players because like we say it's absolutely it's, it's bone dry right now so anything they can do for users to help on that side of the book they've got to do it like we don't really know what they're going to do with these issuance either like wh- at which price point will they come in on which players you wouldn't expect them to come in on premium youth players anyway where they are now you like to think so you know, but with Kimmich what would they do with Kimmich would they come in it where he is now or would they wait till he gets to 10 quid or what? You don't really know what's going to happen with that. But the last the last thing we need after the 22nd, by the way, is for them to add even more weight to the office side. Where, yeah. Where, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, where it's not just traders looking to sell players, it's FI as well. I mean, I don't want to get the uh, doom and gloom out, but I'm slightly concerned that we might start seeing FI trying to make some money for themselves and push prices down even more. I <laughs> think that would not be good um, <laughs> for them and for traders, though. Like, because I think what they've done with the 
uh, removing the kind of offer walls is kind of, I guess, good for them and good for traders to some extent because, you know, the obvious reason that their ceilings are gone, but also they're not forced to mint at those prices. They can mint at higher or can they can mint at lower. Their minting strategy is now uh, not tied to price, which is, I guess, yeah. good. But But also... If they do mint low, it's going to kill them in the long term. Exactly. So there's a fine balance, isn't it? It's like we're, we're basically going to trust them to mint at the right price. I mean, that in itself is a is a guess. Because if you look at what the, how they've been using LP001 over the past few months, it's like, it's like, really? It's like, what are you doing? Very strange. It's like they're buying at market price and then they start dumping it the next day. I mean, it's, it's got better than it was. But back in October, for example... I made an absolute killing in October. Like they started buying in bulk and then the next day they dump it all in bulk. It was like, it was mental. So what are you doing? And since then, this week I've noticed that on the ticker that they've been selling a lot of players, usually the same, the same ones. Like same Ford, few, yeah. Foden, Greenwood, Grealish, you know the ones, if you've seen the ticker this week, um, last week. So they're still selling players. They've not been buying that much. They bought a few Messi and Sancho last night, I noticed. But, you know, I mean, what's LPZ was he one going to do? Now, is he going to keep on doing the, what, what he's doing? Like, I'd love to speak to Mike and ask him who's in charge of LPZ was one. Is it a script? Is it someone sat there pressing the button? I mean, why can't LP1 come on the bid side of the book and start bidding on players instead of buying from, from the offer side? Why can't they just start bidding? I mean, I tried to get answers from this phone call the other week. But the person I was speaking to had no real influence on that, those kind of decisions. But I'd love to know, like, if they could actually bid on players and start creating some bid, bid walls because it was, it was obvious that if you create some bid walls, what's going to happen? People are going to see it. If you make it obvious, it's FI. People will see it and they'll start to either bid just above it. Spreads will tighten. People will start buying again and the price will go up. So if you want to mint shares a higher price, then, you know, what's going to happen with LP001? Is LP1 going to start, continue to dump shares? Is he going to buy from, buy now? Or what's he going to do? Like, I mean... It all? It's like, it's mental what's been happening over the past few months. Yeah, I... I sometimes I think it's them sometimes I think it's not I think recently there's been a few trends to to show or suggest that it there is them doing some some of that um I I don't really know what the strategy is there is it to make money is it to stimulate the market are they happy to break even as long as it kind of pushes prices up I there seems to be no semblance of a strategy there from the outside in there might be one internally I've got no idea but from here? If, you read the, um, if you read the T's and C's on the actual market maker, it says, we are not in this to make profit. We're just here to, you know, whatever they say, stimulate the market or make, you know, keep things ticking over, whatever it says. But so they're not in it to make, any, to make a profit, which, you know, that's not fair enough. But they must have lost, whatever that pot of money is, they must have lost the fortune of the past few months. Like, how can you buy from market price and sell at 50p cheaper the next day? I mean, you know, you don't be a genius to work out you're losing money. So there's one thing to not make a profit from traders, but there's another thing that the, the company's actually losing money whilst pushing prices down. Because when so LP1's gonna, if LP1's going to buy your shares at 50p higher, 
and then sell them the next day for 50p less, what are you going to do? You offer your shares at that price and bid back in. So LP1 has been helping this downward pressure. I mean, you know, <laughs> what do you do with that? I mean, so I'd love to know what the actual strategy is, like you said. Is there any plan with it? I mean, I've tried to get answers about building bid walls, but I've not really got any. So what can you do? I mean, I hope they don't flood. The worst case now is they start flooding the offer side now after next week. And the bid side is even more, got downward pressure on it. And, you know, prices drop even further. So what's the plan, you know? Right, got a question here from Matt Dix. What are you enjoying about FI at the minute? What gives you hope that the platform is going to thrive in the future? I still enjoy match day, like the gold days on Saturday and Sundays. Like I enjoyed Tony Cruz last week playing the big score. You know, the match day experience is still good. Like the platform, the platform is unbelievable, as you well know. The platform is it's revolutionary. It's unbelievable. Like this thing where you can bet on players. And the bet doesn't finish, you know, when he gets subbed off or when the, f- the final whistle, as he always used to say, the bet doesn't finish the final whistle. I mean, it's true. It's like you can own plays for months on end and make money off of it. I mean, the whole, the, the entire platform, the way it's built as a gaming experience is unbelievable. That's the only reason why it's still going. I mean, if this platform was a lesser gaming experience, like we've seen sports stack go under, I mean, that was okay. It was a decent, um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed parts of it. But they've not lasted the, the course, have they? I mean, the only reason this thing has lasted is because how good it is and how loyal the, the user base is. People are desperate for FI to succeed. And that's why they're still hanging around. That's why I'm here. That's why you're still here. I mean, the game and experience on a, on a weekend, it can't be matched, can it? I mean, no, no, it's fantastic. else out there that's anywhere near as good as this. No, I, I mean, look, like, I've... Uh, used my fair share of betting products fantasy products whatever and i'm sure you have too and i just i just the buzz of football index is unparalleled really there's nothing fancy football i think someone put a tweet out the other day that i noticed was rafinha for leeds was having a great game unbelievable best play on the pitch and his fantasy score was at one point it's based on goals and assists and that's about it but it was with FI, he was the leading forward. It's like something as straightforward as that. Yeah. People see a player and make money off of it. I mean, mm. FI, you'd think FI's got to succeed and that's with or without the current people in charge. Mm. Like, if it takes someone else to come and buy it, so be it. I mean, we're loyal to the platform and the, the idea of it more than the people that are in charge. I mean, the way I look at FI sometimes is the way they're how McDonald's was made back in the went back in the fifties. Like McDonald's brothers, they created the first ever fast food restaurant ever. No one's ever seen it before. The burgers were out in a minute. But the way they ran that company, they didn't have the foresight or the expertise to take it national. They wanted to keep it local and keep it, you know, within their realms of their own little county. It took somebody else to see that idea, see the ambition and the the potential of it to take it to the next level. I kind of see that a little bit with Cole and Mike Bowen. I hope I'm wrong about Mike. I hope Mike's got more for, the foresight to to understand how amazing this platform is and where it should be. But if it takes someone else to come in and buy it and do it, so be it. But, you know, the penny's got to drop at some point. I mean, they've got to realise that the fundamentals of the system, of the market, are just not there. 
have to be there. Otherwise, you know, we're going to kick that can along the road. And at some point, people are going to be so pissed off that they'll lose complete faith and they'll just leave the platform. And we don't want that to happen, do we? So, you know. What what have you, have you been impressed so far by Mike? I have in small parts. Like it looks like he's getting, he's understanding what the platform's USP is. He seems to be pushing the long-term bet, which is what it should be. Because back, back last year, even the five times IPDs, as much as I enjoyed them, you know, made a fair bit of coin. It wasn't right for the platform. It's like, it's all short term. There's always offers short term, short term, short term. And got to the stage where even people were so pissed off of it that when Mike came in with it, let's face it, MDE, match day extra. It's a decent idea. It's only 1p, but look how the market reacted. Just from a simple little announcement like that, it was like, it was just, it was back in the day, people were kicked off at the, how small the prices were, how small the payouts were of 1p. But because people could see you know, the direction from Mike thinking to themselves, put two and two together and thought, okay, Mike's the new CEO. He looks like he's going to push the platform to a long-term bet again. Let's start buying players. And, you know, people plowed money in. Sancho went back up to £9. It was £3.50 I got him for a few weeks before. From a simple announcement like that, it just shows how much eagerness there is from 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 users that they want, they're desperate to spend the money in players. They're desperate to succeed, to get this thing back on track again. And all they've got to do is they've got to look at that, the bid side of the book and say, how can we give this thing weight? I mean, if you're going to have an order book that's not flat, that is, is weighted one side or the other, you want it on the bid side more than the offer side. I mean, if you're going to have it weighted on one side, make sure the bid side is, you know, healthy as fuck and so the prices will go up what we've got now is the, the the opposite way around so you know the platform is amazing people love it we all love it but they've got as much as we enjoy these little announcements here and there rebates and you know match day extra if they improve team in the month with a bigger payout etc that's all good but at the end of the day they've got to fix that that bid side of the book and give it weight and give people confidence to trade because it all comes down to confidence, doesn't it? I mean, Mbappe scored a hat-trick last night. I, I didn't buy him. And that's unheard of. If I saw a player score a hat-trick like Mbappe, I'd plough him. I'd absolutely plough into him. And he's only gone up, what, 30p today? What should Mbappe go up from last night's performance? £1.50? Maybe. Two quid? <laughs> it's, it's a performance of his, you know, it's like a run... Uh, it's probably his best performance since Argentina in the World Cup, isn't it? Exactly. So that's like a, it's like a, a landmark moment in, in Mbappe's career where he, mm. des- he destroyed Messi in, in inverted commas. And he's gone up, what, 40p? Because people are so scared that they might buy it at four quid. But come next week, he's back down to £3.70. Yeah. I think the overall consensus from people I've spoken to, Pirlo, is people are kind of sick of betting on the company and want to bet on footballers again. That's what it is. It's, it's, that's what we'll do. We're betting on the company. We're betting on the penny dropping. We're betting on a good announcement. We're betting on all those kind of things. And what we're not doing is looking at players and thinking, I think this player is going to do this, this, and this, and I'm going to buy into him and have confidence that his price will go up or he'll win dividends and I can make some money out of it. It's fairly straightforward. I mean, people just want the confidence to trade. 
And they don't have it right now because, like I keep saying it over and over again, the bid side of the book is weak and it needs to be strong. So they've got to understand that because I'm not sure that they actually fully understand it yet. I don't know how much, I don't know why the penny's not dropped yet. I hope it has in back in, you know, back where they are behind the scenes. But, you know, we've, we've barely seen market makers mentioned on any announcements. We've barely seen liquidity mentioned on announcements, you know, so what are they thinking? Are they thinking that they still want this organic liquidity, that it's user versus user and that's it? I mean, how, how far do we go with this before people start generally start to get pissed off with them? So I'm I mean, do, do, you, do you not think that's already started to happen? It should. I mean, we've seen bits and bobs, but we need to see more. We need to see something, the next an announcement over the next month or two where they address this head on like like we said allow people to multiple to make multiple bids mention market makers say where you've, you've been speaking to them you can't give away all the information but say that you've actually been speaking to them remind people that you actually are talking to them if they are because if you don't mention it people like me will assume that you're not so you know they've got to focus on the bid side of the book if they've got to you know if they can't bid themselves you know, why not? Is it against, will the gambling commission think it's manipulation? Or I don't know. But, I mean, they can't carry on with this LP001 nonsense for much longer. I mean, it's losing money every week. I mean, so, you know, we live in hope, but we hope that Penny drops with Mike and the powers that be that the song bit out of the book. Mm. So to conclude on that bit, Love the concept. Unparalleled match day experience. Concept will take this thing where it needs to be taken, whether it's by the people that are there or not. And uh, the penny will drop at some point. Yeah, you'd like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm, I've been encouraged by the first six weeks of, of Mike's tenure personally. Like, I think yeah. he's done way more in six weeks than the six months previous. Exactly, um, which just tells you how bad it was. I mean, he's not done that much, has he? Yeah, yeah, that that is, I guess, the big point, I mean, isn't it? Like, if you know. you're looking at it in isolation, it's not been amazing, but in comparison, it has been amazing. Exactly. So you know, so much more of the same, but just a little bit more. Come on, there's a little bit more, Mike. Just before we move on, need to remind you that this episode is brought to you by The Athletic. The Athletic is a subscription-based sports news site delivering in-depth sports coverage featuring football reporters you know and love like David Ornstein, James Pearce, Sam Lee and Rafa Honigstein. The Athletic is telling stories you won't find anywhere else. No ads or clickbait, just great sports writing. So for 50% off your annual subscription to the best sports writing around, go to theathletic.co.uk slash fig. Pirlo, the ill question. The one that everyone comes on the podcast for. Uh, what have you bought recently for more than £2.49? Oh, a box of tea bags. Box of tea bags. Did you get the Yorkshire fifty percent free ones? No, I didn't know. I'm a, I'm a PG Tips man right now. Oh, okay. I'm about to try the uh, pyramid. That's what I'm about. <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, yeah. All right. Next questions here. All about flipping. So many questions about kind of buying players and and uh, selling them pretty quickly. I want you to outline your process 
when is it good to buy when is it good to sell what you look for generally and the best kind of example of a question is probably summarized by sigmund who he says looking forward to this would love for plo to talk through his match day experience research and prep beforehand how he watches games whilst more monitoring fi what's his setup like and as a as pb deadline approaches what his thought process is in terms of buying and holding there's a lot there isn't there it's not yeah, a great question Username and password as well, does he want? Oh, oh <laughs> um, I can sig. Um, well, my research mainly is watching their match day rankings. Like on a weekend, I'll sit on my sit on watching FI, watching games all day long. So I'll be there for 10, 11 hours and I just remember things. Like I remember who scored the goal. I'll, I'll, every time a goal goes in, I'll see who it is, see his price, see if anyone buys, and you start to gauge. Sentiment, like it's all about sentiment. The, the trading, like flipping is about, can you anticipate this player, if he does something, his price will go up and you can make a quick flip. So my research is mainly at the weekend, it's about the match day rankings. I remember things, I remember who did what, who's got a good base, who's got a good peak, who's in form, et cetera, et cetera. The PB scores, I don't know the exact scores, but I've got a good idea in my brain who's got a decent PB. During the week, it's more about gauging the sentiment from traders, like on index game, you see people chatting, people on Twitter mentioning players, you start to get a feel for, okay, they like this player or this kind of player. You try, you try to spot trends that are coming up, if it's about PB midfielders or it's about fullbacks. For example, when Trent was, you know, super over, everyone loved Trent, fullbacks would go following. So if you can see Trent's going up in price, you know, you get, to, you get a feel for the market and think, well, if he's going to go up, the gap between the other fullbacks is quite big now. So you can start to buy into fullbacks. You can look at players that are in form. If a player is smashing up PB scores like Teji Savanir, you know, you get a good feeling that he's got good sentiment in that moment in time. And if he gets a game, game winning goal, people are going to buy in. So it's about, on a weekend, it's all about gauging match day rankings. I'll sit there all day long looking at who's doing what. During the week, it's more about what traders are talking about. So if I gave an example on my blog, uh, my last ever episode where I noticed on Twitter that there's a player from Hertha Berlin people are talking about. I've never heard of him. And he was back from injury. He'd been out injured for like three or four months. So I'd never seen him play. But I saw one account talking about him saying, I can't wait to see him back on the pitch. He's an amazing player. And then someone else said something similar. So I made a note of it. So on a match day, I might use the watch list by adding players on there. So that I've got, it's all about access. On a match day, it's all about access. You want to get in quickly as you can. So you might either use the watch list on the, on the lap, on my laptop, on the website, or I may buy one share. So they're in my portfolio. And you can either use your portfolio to buy in if he does something, or you can use the tab on the match day rankings where it says my portfolio. So the players that you think, if these do something today, you've got them there in front of you. So that's one little tactic that I can use on match day. And like I say, this player at Hertha Berlin was Dil Rosen, the Brazilian lad. He took on like, uh, the, my goal, the goal flashed on my, I used betting, betting apps to, Flash the goal. So the goal came up for her to Berlin. I was using the stream online, checked the stream out, saw him take on three different plays, dinked the goalkeeper and thought, this kid is quite good. And because you can 
if two people on Twitter are talking about a player, then there's other people out there with the same view, but just aren't saying it out loud. Like I used to be a door-to-door salesman. And basically, if you knocked on 100 doors, you'd get one or two sales. And if you flipped on its head, like the way TV, I'm going on a tangent here, but the way TV deal with complaints, if one person complains, then I don't know what the ratio is, but like a thousand people are offended, that kind of thing. So if two people are on Twitter talking about a player, maybe a dozen or so people out there looking at him as well. So you can gauge sentiment by multiple accounts talking about certain players. So when he scored his, that goal I talked about, I ploughed into him. He got an assist later on, which is helpful. And I think he went up like 30p. So I flipped him there and then. So yeah, it's during the week. This is more back in the day because these days the market's changed a lot. In-play trading's not as good as it used to be. I'm actually, I'm actually kind of not that fussed about it nowadays. But when the market was strong, you know, it's all about the sentiment. If you can get a player, you know a player as sure as you can be that if he scores in this game, he will go up in price. So when Martinelli, another example, when Martinelli for Arsenal scored that goal against Chelsea, that, that goal, Martinelli's goal, I had a feeling that if he scores in this game, he's in open price and there wasn't much risk to it. So when he took, when he ran half length of the pitch and slotted it in, I don't know what he went up by. But that's an, that's an easy flip right there. You can buy... I, d- I don't remember I was off the sofa then. <laughs> I bet you were, yeah. <laughs> Actually, this is the thing. When you're in play, when you're flipping, you don't really get to watch that much football, which is strange. Because you monitor all the games. When you're celebrating Martinelli, I'm on the, I'm on football index pressing buy. <laughs> so I've actually not... It's really strange. I've watched so many goals over the past two years. Actual football matches, not that many. So that's a bit of a sacrifice if you're going to be an in-play trader. But yeah, you can you can gauge sentiment. It's easier on some players than others. Like, I don't always get it right. Like, I've seen players score a goal and I've left it. I thought, nah, he's not got much gone for him. And he's gone up 20p. And I thought, fuck's sake, have I missed that? Sometimes I'll buy a player, like, randomly off the top of my head. I bought uh, Bergwijn for Tottenham. I thought, he scored a goal for Spurs. I was like, I'll buy him. I bought him and no one else bought him. I was stuck with him for like three weeks. I couldn't get rid of him. So I don't always get it right. But yeah, it's, it's mainly about sentiment. When you're going to flip a player, you've got to be as sure as you can that others will buy in after you. And it's, then it's all about speed. It's speed kills. So you got if you're the first in, you then got you then got to gauge how high that, that wave, as I call it. You've got to ride the wave as long as you can before it starts to do- drop. So if you think, I reckon this player will go up maybe 15 to 20p. So when it gets to about 17p, I'll start. Back in the day, I used to list. It's different now because it's sold a book, so you set the price yourself. But you know, back in the day, you tried to gauge how far we'd go. So it's about not trying to get the peak every single time on that wave before it starts to drop. So it's about getting in as early as you can, ride the wave, take the 15, 20p, flip and get out so that's basically it really well i think that was again very very thorough i really enjoyed it um quickly moving on from that one 
Sigmund has a second part. And one more, is that okay? This time, last time, I remember Perla and I having polite disagreements about if pos- if it's possible to value a player on FI. Has his thoughts changed on this? If so, why and how? Thank you. Um, it's not changed that much, to be fair. I think if I was to say, how would I value a player? I wouldn't look at a player any more than season to season. Like I'm not a, I can't, I can't, for me personally, I know that other people do, but I can't see much sense in looking at a career arc or I think he's going to make this much over the next five years, three years, because there's so many variables on the platform. Like just the player alone. You've got a transfer, you've got a manager change, you've got a change of position, you've got will the, the club he plays for bringing new players in his position? Will it affect how he plays? Will it change the tactics? Would he get an injury? These are all obvious things, but if he gets an injury, it could change his career forever. You've got a loss of belief or confidence, and that's just the player alone. Then you've got FI as a company. Will they reduce divs? They took away IPDs like that. So what's happened to players that are IPD type players? You've got the, the convenient order books without any liquidity. <laughs> I mean, they change. You've got CEO can change. The matrix can change. If, if you buy a player based on the matrix now, that could change in September. So how can you really value that player? But do you do you see the sense in someone? I know I saw a good example of someone saying it on um, uh, on Twitter, where it was like. Right, if you buy a Greenwood for three pounds, that's six media buzz wins a year for ten years on average. Do you see sense in even loose career arc type uh, cash flow inbound versus outbound type of valuations like that? Hundred percent, I understand it. I see where people are coming from. It's a pretty safe. You think that's a pretty safe assumption? Greenwood will win the media days over this long, but you know. The thing is, FI is such, we've got an immature market with immature users, with an immature people who are in charge. If this platform was, you know, it was set, it was, you know, it was beautiful, everyone was perfect, you know, the world's your oyster, then I would look into that side a bit more. I'd look at someone like of Greenwood, how many times could he win PB? How many times would he win MB? But the thing is, I mean, for me to put my money into him, for me personally, I'd much rather keep it more short where I can look at him and think, I can get into him now, I can sell him for this. I'm a trader. I'm not really a person who puts their money into a long-term hold. I'm a trader. I'm not like an investor type who invests money into players. I trade players because that's how I do it. That's just my own personal way of going about the index. So it's more, for me, it's all about entry. And but- I guess for you, it's more important on how other people value players. Exactly. There's two types. When you look at a player, you can think of it as two ways. You've got trader A, who values that player, who wants to buy that player and hold that player. And if he does something good, he's looking good, he'll buy into him. Then you've got trader B. Trader B will buy that player based on what trader A is thinking. So he will look at it and think, I reckon people will buy into this player because he's doing this. You've got those both things when the, market's, when the market's healthy, you've got both those types of traders buying into that player. And that's why we see these instant rises. That's why we see rises over a short period of time because you've got trader A buying, putting their money where their, where their mouth is now. But you've also got trader B who's thinking, 
trader A is doing this, so I'm going to get in first and I'm going to make my money in here as well. And then you've got trader C's who understand both those things, who may be a flip merchant, who may think I can buy in early as well, but I'm going to sell in. So you've got these, these two or three different types of traders on the index where trader A is all about this player's awesome, I'm going to buy into him, I'm going to hold him, and I'm going to make this much in divs over this period of time, full stop. Then you've got Trader B who's thinking, Trader A is going to do this, I'm going to go in there as well and make my money from capital appreciation, or whatever it may be. So, you know, I'm more of a Trader B type, slash C, where I must be a complete flip merchant, where I just buy a player who scores a goal and sell within 30 seconds. But I try to, I'm more like Trader B, I think of, player is good, he can win this many divs over this amount of period of time. Also, Trader A is thinking the same thing. So if I get in early, I can make my money that way. So I don't understand the idea of valuation. Without, value, without people valuing players, there wouldn't be any stabilization. It would be like... Yeah, I, I was literally about to say, you took the words out of my mouth, like the way I look at this market building is you have like a base layer of big long money that wants to go long on Sanchez's career, Greenwood's career, Mbappe's career, whoever, like name any young or, you know, even Kimmich, for example, I want to hold Kimmich for the next seven years, whatever. Um, and then on top of that, you have people who are trading based on speculation. And you also have in that group people, people trading based on actual events triggering those rises. I did a, a video on what gives players value on, on FI and I don't know if you watched that one, but like there were so many things spiraling off it and you have like the base kind of quote unquote intrinsic bit, but all those three layers, I suppose, need each other to function. Exactly. So the market wouldn't work without these trade A's, as I call them, trade A people, like the EJs, yeah, Panda, you know, big accounts, big money. They own this player and they're going to keep him no matter what. You need those players for the market to stabilise and to continually push up. If the market was full of perlos, I've always said it, it wouldn't work. It'd be, like, it'd be worse than what it is now. To now, now it's quite volatile. Imagine that a world of index of FI where it's all perlos trying to scalp each other. It'd be like the fucking wild west. It'd be, it'd be unbelievable. So you need those traders who believe in divs and valuation. I understand all of that. But it's just my own personal preference. I think I can make more money by being a trader. I can trade sentiment. I can get in early, get out high, and make money that way. But I've got no issue whatsoever with people who value players. If you believe Sancho is worth £35, and he's going to make this many divs, fair play to you. Go for it. It doesn't mean I'm going to do the same thing. You may be right. You may be wrong. It doesn't really matter to me. All I really care about is... If I believe I can buy Sancho, like I did last summer, at £10, the media madness, I sold him at £14 and I took the media divs along the way. That was my trade. That was my my two or three month you know, valuation, inverted commas, if you like. So I do understand the concept of it, but mine is more short term. Can I buy this player at this price? Can I sell at this price that's higher? And I can always buy back in again. You know, So I do understand it, but... As far as has my opinion changed, not that much, especially the way it is now. It's so volatile now. I mean, when Foden scored last week against Liverpool, I wanted to buy him. But I thought, I can buy him cheaper. And I have this week. I've bought in this week on a match bid, what, £3.30? It would have cost me four quid last week. You know, so 
I'll, I'll look to trade out of that at some point. But, you know, I do understand the idea of valuating players. I just, the reason me and Sig had a little bit of a spat, he called it a, uh, what does he say, a polite disagreement. Polite disagreement. <laughs> it was polite, to be fair. But it was like, the thing is, is like the timeline was kind of being a bit like an echo chamber. And I don't like echo chambers. So I, I piped up a bit, tried to a cat amongst the pigeons saying, because people were saying, this player is undervalued. He is undervalued. It's like, that's an opinion. It's not fact. A hundred percent fact is undervalued. And I just saw this little echo chamber crying, just building up a little bit. So I thought I'd get involved and I got rinsed by all the valuation. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. I can take it. But, you know, so I do understand it. It's not like I don't understand how to value a player. I understand the concept. It's just, I don't personally do it because the market isn't mature enough. If the market was mature and we had high worth individuals and the whole thing was sorted, then I may buy Sancho for three years. But know. even but even then, it's not really in your interest if you're if you're trying to flip, right? You're more interested in, in how, yeah. for example, Sigmund values his players rather than how you would. Yeah, I can say, I can understand. If he says to me, he likes Donnarumma, well, I like him as well. He looks at Donnarumma and thinks, there's a 20-year-old goalkeeper there. How much divs is he going to win over the next 12, 15 years if they fire still around? And that's his thinking process, and I understand that. But as a trader, I... I understand that, and that's why I bought him because I like the goalkeeper dividends. Uh, they're actually quite generous now. If you look at the actual the way it works now, those goalkeeper divs on top of team of the month. If that gets a little boost, in the goalkeepers are quite are quite good given the price. So I understand it, and I've I've got a few goalkeepers to keep. I've got more. I've got no reason to sell them at the minute. But if I believe Donny Woman reaches a price where I can sell him, and then buy back in a bit cheaper. I may do that, but like I say, I understand how people value players. It's just not the way I do it because I want to make more money. I think I can make more money by timing my entry and my exit because I'm a trader. That's just the way it is. Yeah, I think, uh, I guess with people are taking this things away from this, if you're in that first trader A category, find a way to value players that, that you like. If you're in the trader B or C, it's more important for you to understand how trader A values his players. Exactly, yeah. So like I say, it's not like I don't understand it because if I didn't understand it, I wouldn't be a very good trader B or C. You know? Like I, I look at a player and think, Sancho may win media for six months on end if he goes to Man United. People are going to love that. They're going to buy in. They're going to hold him. They're going to do this, that, and the other. His price could be stable. Not just stable, they could be going up and up and up over the next few months or even a year. I understand it. But my point of view is, as a trader, I want to time my exit as well as my entry. So, like I said, back in the summer, I sold Sancho at £14. Looking back, that was a brilliant trade. If I'd kept him, what, what's he worth now? Well, not his worth, but what's his price now? What's it, £6 now? £6.50? So if I'd kept, like, Panda loves Sancho. That's just the way it is. He's traded A all day long. Without him, just think what, just think what Sancho's price could be if, if Panda went, ah, fuck this. You know? It's quite scary. So we need trader A's. The, the platform was built on trader A's. But trader B's, have their place as well. And you also have Trader C's who are complete like scumbags, like complete 
flip merchants who don't give a shit about anything else that is buy and sell and that's it. So, you know, once, once the platform's sorted, we'll, once we get new users come in, you'll start to see these trader A types, trader B types a lot more. At the minute, it's, it's, all a bit of a, it's all a bit of a mess at the moment. People want to hold, but they lose confidence because the price is tanking. You know, sentiment's going up and down like a, like a, like a lift. You know, but like I say, valuing players is important. It isn't like I don't understand it. I don't like the fact of people valuing players. It's just when Sig had, me and Sig had that polite disagreement, it was just a case of back then, people really pushing players like, player is worth this, he's undervalued, buy him. Like they were telling people to buy 70 for three pound. I mean, what's, what's, he, what's his price now? 70p? You know, so it's just a case of me being the way I am. You know, my Max Arnold hat on. <laughs> Trying yeah. to stick my nose in this, you know, cat amongst the pigeons a little bit. He was doing well at some point this, this season, Max Arnold. He's a good player. That's why I kicked off. You know, what are you doing, <laughs> what are you doing PB man? What, what have you killed him for? <laughs> you know? he's, a, he's a good player. Yeah. Right. That Max Arnold thing was funny to be fair, but it was just the way it went about. Like, me, me and EJ and Big Don, we were like, this could set a precedent here. If people start depumping players on the timeline, you know, it could be a bit of a, dang- a dangerous thing to do. So that was the only reason for that. But yeah. yeah. I mean, me and Sig are fine. <laughs> um, question from TC here, who was on the podcast previously. Um, oh, no. He- He's uh, not the. He's the other TC. Uh, what is it your favourite? Yes, it is Top Cat. What is your favourite league for one enjoyment and two in play trading? Enjoyment's got to be the Bundesliga. I mean, have you seen this standing there defending? I, mean, I... <laughs> uh, I don't know if you watched the latest Dortmund game, but it was. <laughs> Did I watch one of those it? It was fucking hilarious. It was horrible. It was unbelievable. Like a comedy show. It was unbelievable. The keeper as well. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> Who hits? I run hits, by the way. I bought him for seven p. I might sell him for three. Jesus. <laughs> He's unbelievable. Good luck with that one. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, yeah, Dortmund uh, sat on Saturday. Was it Sunday? Saturday, Sunday? I think it was Sunday. I can't remember. They were useless. Did you see Bayern Munich on Monday night against Bielefeld? Bielefeld? Uh, I saw uh, like snapshots of it in the snow. Yeah. Awful. Awful. And they're the best team in Germany. Did you see Leipzig last night? Uh, I didn't actually. I was watching PSG. Against Liverpool? Awful. And what are you doing? Up and down. Mukuelli were absolutely useless. I mean, the defending the German league is it's amazing. It's like you can't even like it. It's, it's, for enjoyment, just watch the Bundesliga. You have a right laugh. Um, what's the second bit in play trading? I don't really have a preference to be fair, it's all the same to me. Maybe with the Premier League, because the Premier League players tend to get a little bit more of a bump because everyone's watching it, you know. So maybe with the Premier League, but I'm not that fussed about it really. Bundesliga it is then Uh, for enjoyment and in play trading Prem AB here which three under 23s win the most dividends over the next six months yeah I've been thinking about this one you've got to say Sancho for the uh, Man United links you would think of the six months when does the Euros finish is it in August so we're we're including the Euros here aren't we just thinking who could get some Media is usually the best way to predict divs because PB can come and go. But I was thinking maybe Mason Mount, if he's in, if he's in the England team and 
By the way, you can win PB as well. Like his PB base, he got off to a flyer against Newcastle the other night. Yeah, but doesn't everyone? Well, yeah, but you know, <laughs> that is true. But Mason Mount, he takes set pieces, doesn't he? So from corners from both sides, his base is quite good. He got 313 Starman win this season. So he's got it in his locker to win PB. He might win some media if he's in the England team, possibly. But you never know. He could be an outside bet. Um, who else? Maybe Haaland. If, Man- if Dortmund finished fifth, miss out on the Champions League. Those Man City links may come in. Man United links may come in. He could get some media. Maybe Haaland. There you go. Cool. It's quite, leaving quite a few off there. Okay, go on. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's... Trent? I keep thinking that Jack Greenish is under 23 when he's not. He's tw- yeah, he's not, mate. He's, like, <laughs> he's fucking old, isn't he? He's like 26. He's like 20, he's like I mean, I'm looking, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, Foden, there's, uh, I mean, Sancho, yeah, I thought Foden, Garland. You know, I'm, not, you I'm still not convinced on Foden's media yet. Mm, that is the one, isn't it? Mount, like, Mount's got, Mason Mount's got more media appeal than he does. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, um, who else have I was we thinking, got? I was thinking Trent, but... Potentially Trent, Yeah. It's all PB um, though, isn't it? He's got, he's, he should be through to the next round of the Champions League, so he might get another defender win and a gold night. But, you know, I was thinking... It's the double-barreled name, isn't it? Yeah, he doesn't get much media, does he? Probably. I'm trying to think of other youngsters. I mean, it depends if Mbappe moves in the summer. Could he win divs in, in the Euros as well with France? I don't think he'll move, though. I, think I don't think he'll move more. either, no. Could uh, be Mbappe. Could be, maybe, yeah. maybe. He smashed it last night, didn't he? Yeah, so. sublime sublime um, F.I. Lambings here what impact do you think Marco Rose coming in at the end of the season will have on Dortmund's transfer business I put this in because I've seen you tweet quite a lot about German football so I thought this would be a good yeah. one to pick your brains on um, I don't think it'll change it that much I think Dortmund's transfer dealings is where they finish in the league yeah. I mean, if Rose wants to keep Haaland then he may as well keep he may as well stick God back in fifth place and let Dortmund finish in the Champions League if that's who he wants but um, I don't think he'll have that much influence, to be fair. I think Dortmund will do what they need to do. I think they'll sell Sancho. But who knows? Maybe Man U don't want to spend that money now. Maybe Diallo will come into the team. We don't know. Maybe they'll give up on Sancho. You never know. But I think Dortmund, I think where they finish in the league will dictate who they sell and who they, or who they buy even. But I don't think Rose... I don't think he'll make that much difference. They're more of a head coach, aren't they, over there? They're not like, Jose will come in and demand this player, that player. I think it's more of a case of you're the head coach. These are the players, go and do your job. It's it's a win-win for them, isn't it? Because if they do really well and say they only have to sell Sancho in the summer, yeah. then he's still got Haaland, he's still got all those young pieces to build around. He's got a good squad. And, and you get 100 million euros out. from Sancho and you can spend yeah. it on whatever you want. Um but even if it goes disastrously and you've got like Sancho, Haaland, Guerrero, whoever else leave, um, yeah. because they're not in the Champions League, I don't know, just feasibly just thinking, you know, worst case scenario, you've then got yeah. a young coach who is very good at making players be as good as they can, really, at Gladbach. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So as, as the team, I think you'll, you'll improve them. But the question about transfer business, I don't think he has that much influence myself. I think, I think they will sell Sancho. I mean, for the sake of the index, let's hope he goes to fucking Man United. I mean, if he doesn't, <laughs> you know, it could be, you know, I don't want to think about it, but let's hope he goes to Man United. 
Haaland could get Man City links, but if they if they finish fourth, I think Haaland will stay. I don't think they'll sell both of them if they don't need to. Um, all he's got to do is sort that defence out. I mean, honestly. I mean, Hummels is experienced, but he wouldn't. Yeah. I love Hummels as a whole. His PB is awesome. His PB base. He will win PB this season. You know, he will win it. He'll get that game where he maybe scores a goal, gets a clean sheet. But honestly, the way they're defending their goalkeepers are absolutely horrendous. So, so maybe he'll maybe he'll sell Sancho and buy a couple of defenders. So who knows? I mean, not selling Sancho and letting Hakimi go was a weird one from them in the summer. But hey ho. Yeah, Hakimi's forty million pound, wasn't he? Hakimi. Ah, chips. And they've got Thomas. What's he called? Moon. What's his first name? Thomas Mooney. Fuck Thomas me, Mune, he's yeah. terrible. I I think he's. <laughs> The less the less I say about him, the better. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> well, I think that's all we've got time for. You've been a brilliant guest, mate. I can't believe it's taken me this, Cheers, mate. this long to get you <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, thanks for the invite, finally. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, where can people find out more about you? You can find me on Twitter at gingerpearl, what is it, underscore FI. And if you've not read my blog yet, it's my pinned tweet. I get messages now and again saying, I've just seen your blog. I'm on episode three. I'm addicted. I'm hooked. I think it's amazing. <laughs> if you're missing any Netflix series, don't bother. <laughs> Check out Perlo's blog. More to come. It's, I'm, I'm it's addictive. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> thank you very much for joining me thank you very much everyone for listening if you're commuting i hope the weather's being kind to you if you're not commuting doing whatever you're doing stay indoors stay safe and all that jazz so if we didn't get to answer all your questions there was the most there's been in a long while uh more than usual which is already a lot so loads and loads we couldn't get through all of them for obvious reasons otherwise we'd be here for hours thank you very much everyone for listening have a great day and we'll have more for the next podcast for you next week